Now, uh, as we think about that inspiration, I want us to sort of shift our mind towards thinking today about people of inspiration, people who inspire us, people who model for us uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus. So for just a second, I want you to just, in your mind, quickly just grab a mental snapshot of someone who has been a role model or an inspiration for you in your journey of following Jesus. Think about who that person is. Think about sort of why they stand out to you. And then just take a moment to just thank the Lord for who they are. Over the years, I've been so thankful to have God place a number of great role models in my life. Uh, One of the earliest examples that I can think of of someone who looked like Jesus, who act like Jesus, was a guy named Dave. Dave was the pastor of the church my family first stumbled into when we started exploring the Christian faith together. And because of the example that Dave had from Jesus, he really tried to live uh, in a very specific way that would help people to know who God is. And I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible the things that he did. I mean, just for, for starters, he let me into his home and into his world, and uh, that was a lot. I mean, it's probably hard for those of you who know me to believe, but I was allowed obnoxious, crazy kid. And uh, my family at the time was going through a lot. My parents had both been in a series of car accidents that left them kind of in and out of going to a hospital, rehab, uh, like dealing with lawyers and all this kind of stuff for a bunch of accidents. And so I had a lot of Uh, time to kill on my own, a lot of energy uh, that needed to be placed somewhere, and I had a lot of questions and frustrations and all this sort of thing. And for this gentleman to take this kid who he didn't know into his house and introduce me to his uh, kids and to just let me come over unannounced uh, whenever I wanted was just an amazing thing. And when Pastor Dave would let me in. What he would often do was make sure that I was there to experience more than just uh, a safe place, more than just a place to hang out with his kids, which in and of itself was enough. But he wanted to make sure that I had somebody to process life with, and he wanted to make sure that as I did that, he was pointing me towards Jesus. And so regularly, Dave would invite me in to talk about school, what was going on with my family, just life, and then through it all, he would introduce faith. And sometimes that would be uh, just for a brief second while I was waiting my turn to play Mega Man. Other times it was like uh, over a meal. I remember the first time uh, I said Grace was with this weird family uh, that they were, where I just sat down and they're like, closing their eyes and bowing their heads and talking to somebody about the food that they made. And I was like, you know, your wife's right there. She made the spaghetti. Uh, And, you know, 
it was this weird experience, but it gave me this insight into that there was someone bigger, someone more important, someone to be thankful to. And so he took moments like that, and I even remember how he was maybe the most like Jesus as he was a hobby carpenter. And so what he would do is he would sit me down on his workbench in the basement, and he would just invite me to sort of experience life and living with him. And he would tell me about this guy who used to work with his hands who lived long ago named Jesus and how he'd made a difference in his life. And so through his kindness, through his patience, through his intentionality of expressing his faith, I had the opportunity to be a person whose life would be changed. I had an opportunity to be someone who would live a life of faith. And it's in no small part uh, because of Pastor Dave and his family and the influence that they had on, on my family that I am the person who I am today. It's why if you ever come to my house between 3 and 8 p.m., you will have to trip over children's shoes as you come in the door. It's why we've intentionally put a basketball hoop and swing out in front of our house where uh, our neighbors spend more time than us is because I've seen the impact that this type of thing can have. And I want to model it because I want to pass on the same type of experience that I had to them. Role models are a very important part of our lives, and we all have so much to be thankful for. But I think sometimes one of the places that we can forget to look, at least in terms of the aspect of our life, is our Christian living. Oftentimes we look to Jesus, and that's important to do. Don't hear this wrong. Looking to Jesus is the first thing we do. But sometimes, I think if we're honest, at least if I am, that can just seem so unattainable. Like when I look at Jesus, sometimes I'm just like, he is just so much better than I am that if I'm going to like follow my life after him, like I just don't think I can do it. And obviously, because he's God, he can do things that I can't because he is perfect and holy. He was able to live a life that I have failed at living time and time again. But what he has done in addition to that and in addition to showing who he is, is he's given examples to me that I can sort of look to as an intermediate step as I try to follow him. God in his graciousness gives each one of us uh, men and women who will help us in this journey of being like Jesus. In the scripture passage we're looking at today, we're going to see Paul commend two men. And he commends these two men as being these role models for the Philippians. These are people who were familiar to them, people who had experienced life in the city of Philippi, in this growing church, in this Roman colony in 62 AD, who understood them, who understood their world, who loved them. And what he does is he speaks to them and of them for the benefit of the church to see an example of what it means to look like as we follow Jesus. So if you got your Bible, join with me uh, by taking a note, turning to Philippians 2. Uh, we're going to look at verses 19 to 30 as we continue on from what we've been studying. And, and the first thing you might have noticed if you read this ahead or you might notice as we jump in here is that we're in a section that sort of shifts. And uh, what happens is up until this point, so all through chapter 1, through the bulk of chapter 2, 
Paul has been writing to the Philippians, giving them all sorts of good doctrine. That is, he's given them good teaching on how they can live the Christian life. And he set it up with the center point being Jesus and how he lived. But in here, what happens is he moves rapidly from giving this doctrinal teaching to this encounter with these two men. For a few verses, Paul jumps out of the rhythm that he'll jump back into again in chapter 3 by sort of giving an update on his missionary journey and these guys who have been with him. And he tells them, I'm sending them back to you. Now, this is weird because normally when Paul writes a letter, he puts this at the beginning or the end. Normally when Paul writes a letter to different churches, he starts by saying, greetings to you from so-and-so, I'm sending so-and-so to you, to be with you, to encourage you. Or maybe he bookends uh, at the end with the book and he says, and so I leave you with my friend X, here's why. But here he deviates from that plan and he puts it right in the middle of what he's saying, right after he's saying, you all, as you think about how you're going to live together as a church and get along with one another, you need to live with the mindset of Jesus. But it's as if Paul knows that they're going to have the same sort of feeling I have where they're just like, but how do I do that? Like, Jesus is just so incredible. How do I meet up with him? And so he says, well, let me show you an example of these two guys, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who you can look to as you continue on trying to follow Jesus. So let's read together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Here we read, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out of their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs to be with all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and so I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, it feels like such an interesting thing that you plopped in the middle of this teaching Paul gave. But Lord, we trust that you have uh, something for us to receive from the example of these two men. So Lord, 
uh, by your Holy Spirit, would you just move in our hearts and minds how we can live, uh, live this out, how we can embrace the truth of what it means to look to not these two men for both inspiration and for how we can live as well. Lord, uh, would these words be yours, not mine? Pray that you'd be glorified in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Paul gives us two very different but similar examples of men who can be great sort of figures of faith. We've got Timothy, a young, charismatic pastor who just has an ability to just love churches and help them to grow and helps foster them to be more and more like Jesus. And we have all sorts of writings. We've got like First and Second Timothy where Paul writes to Timothy and tells him things. We have all these accounts from Acts on through the epistles where Paul commends this man and talks about how great he is. And so we got this one guy, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have this guy, Epaphroditus. Who? Exactly. We have these verses, that's it. He wasn't a guy who was, uh, as far as we can tell, a, a charismatic leader. He never pastored a church. He never was worthy of one of these letters, perhaps some might think. But what we see is as Paul commends him, we see that there is an example of an incredible man who, while never being up front, was able to serve in such a way that he was able to earn great titles on his resume from Paul. But what makes these guys stand out besides maybe some things that we just see on the surface? Well, let's just start with what Paul says about Timothy. In verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him. Timothy's a standout guy. Why? Because he will show genuine concern for your welfare. Why does Timothy get set up first as this example of what it looks like to live with others in the mindset of Jesus? Well, like Jesus, he puts others' needs and livelihood and situations ahead of his. He cares about other people. Now, sometimes this is rare, particularly for young, charismatic leaders. Sometimes it's easier to be focused on our interests and our welfare instead of the benefit of other people. But Timothy wasn't a guy who was all about himself and was only worried about getting what was his. Instead, what he did is he followed along behind Paul and he did the work that he was dutifully called to do all while loving the people who were before him. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul gave us an example of why this was so important. Because... The fact of the matter was that as people go through life, they're selfish. People want to get what they can get. And we see this, that while Paul was imprisoned, he said, there's others who are preaching out of envy and rivalry, and that's a problem. The problem was that people were taking advantage of the fact that Paul was in, in prison and they were leveraging the gospel so that they could look good. 
so that they could stand out. So that while Paul was diminished, locked away with the Romans, they could look like the great new leaders of the church. And Paul says that's of great concern. Not because they're sharing the gospel. In fact, in chapter 1, Paul says, I'm just glad the gospel's preached, so don't get me wrong. But what he's laying on here is that the problem is it's done without care or concern for others. And Paul knew the teachings of Jesus. And what he knew is that Jesus recommends something totally different. Jesus himself would say, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Why? Because Jesus was sent of God's love to reveal to us what it looks like to love and to elevate others over ourselves. He showed us the heart of God. And here, what Timothy does is he puts others ahead of himself. Great example. But not only does he put others ahead of himself, but he makes sure that he diminishes himself and looks to the interests of Jesus. Right, verse 21 and 22. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy was willing to set aside his own agenda to go where God had called him. I mean, this is pretty amazing. He is a young charismatic speaker and pastor. He's the guy who could write letters like Paul if he wanted to. He co-authors some letters with Paul. We see that he was this guy who could have built his own platform. He's a guy who could have established a great church in the up-and-coming world, and he could have led and gained notoriety above others. But instead, when God would call, he would go. And he would go to other places where Paul had already been, where the church was already going, and he would come just to love and sacrifice himself for them. And what's amazing to me is that he didn't, at least to our knowledge, ever sit there and rack his brain about how his life was spent. I think most of us spend a lot of our time wrapped up in our own thoughts about our next step. Whether it's what our next career move is going to be, whether it's how we're going to succeed financially, whether it's how we're going to get the next training or whatever to, for our next step in life, we, we spend so much of our time wrapped up in our plan and what we want to accomplish in how we might be known or appreciated or seen for our own merit. But we see that that's never commended in Scripture. Instead, what we see is those who are elevated are those who set those things aside time and time again. Just before this, we see that when Paul said, imitate Jesus, what did he say? He said, imitate Jesus because he was willing to humble himself, to come as God taking upon human flesh. 
taking upon our limitations, taking upon our weaknesses. He was willing to set aside having all the power in the universe, not that he gave it up, but he chose not to use it so that he could live life like us and for us for the glory of God. This is the example that we ought to be following that we ought to be considering as we live both as examples to one another, but also as people who just want to try to imitate Jesus. When we set ourselves aside for him, we realize that our lives get a whole lot better and more full of joy and satisfaction. Take, for example, my friend Dan. He's a role model to me. Uh, Dan is... uh, a gentleman that I got to know over a number of years when I pastored in North Van, and Dan uh, was the type of guy who you just looked at and you thought, this guy is going to make it places. Uh, Dan decided, uh, in terms of where he wanted to go, that he wanted to get into high-end commercial plumbing. And so he went, and over a number of years, he, he got his ticket in order to be a plumber. He ended up uh, apprenticing in some of the best, uh, for some of the best companies in Vancouver. And he worked his way up to a place where he had actually learned the business in the top plumbing company in the entire Lower Mainland. And then he set off to start his business. And Dan's just such a likable guy, and he's so gifted at what he did, and he just had this amazing ability to to do all the work that people started to recommend him so quickly that his business just started to explode. Quickly, he was hiring guy after guy, woman after woman, and he just built up this huge company that was until he heard the call of Jesus. And he felt like God was calling him to give up everything that he had built. He felt that God was saying, I want you to go to Uganda and work with this missions organization that you support. And I want you to just go be their handyman. And amazingly, like, I don't know how he did this. He said, okay. Immediately, he took a month off of work, left his business to his employees. He and his wife and their, uh, I think she was like two-year-old daughter at the time, flew to Uganda, spent over a month just experiencing this work that they had been supporting for all those years. And as soon as they went, he knew, this is where I'm going to go. So Dan flew back. He found a buyer from one of his previous employers to take over and consume his entire portfolio. He sold the business. He packed his bags, and he flew to Uganda. Dan gets no notoriety as a handyman. He works behind the scenes. No one ever sees him. And yet, he's the most satisfied he's ever been. Dan told me the story that someone came up to him and they said, how could you possibly think this is a good idea? You had financial security, you had notoriety in your field, and you've given up all of that and what you could provide your family to go be a nobody working for a company no one ever has heard of. And Dan said, yeah, but the thing you don't see is 
that while I built that business, while I was so consumed with what the next step was, I was constantly worried and frustrated, and I felt like every step was just ticking off a checklist, leading me to nowhere. And he said, when I realized the call of God on my life for this next stage, I realized that everything he'd done was to prepare me for what was next. And it wasn't to build up who I am, but who God is. He says, I no longer have to worry about strategizing because I know God is the one with the greatest strategy. I no longer have to worry about money because I've seen how God provides for those who serve him. And he says, as I've done all this, I've seen my faith come alive in a way that it never has in the workplace. This is the type of example of how we're supposed to live our life. While we may never be called to give up our jobs and go travel to a foreign country to work for a, a little missions agency no one's ever heard of, which is probably not the story for all of us, maybe for some of us, but probably not the story for all of us, what we are called to is to figure out how we can put the plan of Jesus ahead of our own. And then we get to reap the benefits of experiencing God in our day-to-day -day life, of seeing how he works things out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this topic one time, saying this. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. He goes on, he says, we may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks, just like that priest we read about in scripture who passed by the man who had fallen among the thieves, perhaps reading his Bible. When we do that, though, when we pass by the visible signs of the cross raised in our path to show us not our way, but God's way and what must be done. It is a strange fact that Christians frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they're doing God a service in this, but actually they're disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. He says they do not want to have a life that is crossed or balked, but it is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service for Jesus. And so we should not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. I can't help but think of Dan and Dave and Timothy as I think of these people who have deliberately set aside their own time for the work of the God who calls them. Do we do that? Do we spend our time being like, okay, it's okay that I'm going to set aside this task so that I can let an interruption come from God? I know God calls me to love my neighbor, but I'm really busy when my neighbor came over today to talk to me. Or maybe my neighbor doesn't even think like they can cross my driveway because they always see that I'm so busy that all I can do is come and go from my place of business or taking my kids to sports, or whatever that other thing is that's consuming my time. Do we do that, or do we invite holy interruption? Jesus invited holy interruption over and over again. We remember the story of the woman who grabbed onto his hem 
And his disciples were like, come on, Jesus, we got to get to the next place. we got to get through the crowd. And Jesus said, no way. I'm going to take time to pay attention to this woman. So many of us feel so frustrated that we feel like our faith life amounts to nothing. We sit there and we go, I'm just so annoyed that my life feels so dry and that I don't see God at work. All the while, we're looking down at what we're doing instead of up at what he's doing. Stale Christian lives don't come from a life lived for Christ. So Paul gives us this example of Timothy, a man who put others above himself, especially Jesus. But then he went on and he commended Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, again, is this interesting guy, right? We, we don't really know a whole lot about him. All we know is that the church in Philippi wanted to give a financial gift to Paul in his missionary journey after he'd made a huge difference in their community. And, and so they sent him. They just sent him and they said, take this money to Paul and go be an encouragement for him in whatever he does. And out of that, being this background guy who's just... A money carrier and a background encourager, he gets one of the best resumes we ever see in Scripture. In verse 25, Paul says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. He's my brother, my co-worker, a fellow soldier, in addition to being your messenger. These words, Paul says, he's like a battle mate who's out on the field advancing the kingdom of God, going against the enemy. He's somebody who I stand with and I identify with and he has so much meaning it's in my life. It's like he's family. He's a messenger. That word is the same word we use for giving apostles in the Bible. He's someone who stands at the level of the greats of faith who would advance the cause of Jesus in the world. This is how important important this guy is. A guy who probably never gave a sermon, never wrote a letter, never did anything that we would probably praise of being up on a stage or writing a book or speaking at a big conference or getting on TV or having the number one podcast. He had none of that. Instead, what he had was a willingness to live his life outside of his comfort zone, even to the point of death. Well, he didn't die, we see that he almost did, right? It says in, in verses, between verses 26 to 30, it gives us this picture of how much his heart was, of, was breaking for missing his church family, but how dedicated he was to the cause they sent him on, that he was so ill, Paul said that he almost died. But yet he still went, and he still served, and he still gave, and he still encouraged until the point where Paul said, it's time for you to go back and be an example to the church that sent. I love that this guy is not elevated for any public ministry, but we still see so much willingness. That's the willingness each one of us needs to carry with us, to be willing to go outside of our comfort zone for Jesus. Sometimes we glamorize people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and we think, wow, it's so amazing that, that they went off and, and they did these incredible things for Jesus. And, and man, I want to do the same. I, I want Jesus to use me and I want to go where he wants to call me. And then we go 
as long as it's not uncomfortable. I think our desire in our church and the Western church around the world to be comfortable is one of the greatest threats to living like Jesus. We follow a homeless rabbi who endured threats and torture unto death. And we say he's the example of what it looks like to live a proper life and yet I need to be comfortable. I need my life to be quiet. I need everything to work out in my financial portfolio. I need to make sure everything's just right before I'm sent in any sort of capacity. There's nothing wrong with a little comfort. There's nothing wrong with a little joy. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of a comfort zone. But what happens is we take those good gifts that God has given us by allowing us to live in this day and age in this place and we allow it to petrify us. We become so complacent and so slow that we just let the move of God pass us by instead of being the ones who are sent. I truly think that if we are to live up to the life of Jesus, we have to remember who he is. Again, he had no place to stay. There's no accommodation. He had uncomfortable conversations with people. He was scorned and rejected and betrayed. He died for you and me so that God's name would be celebrated. If we're truly going to live our lives as followers of him, we need to be willing to be a little uncomfortable. We need to be willing to say, I'm willing to put myself in a position where I'm sent. Even if it's not in my wheelhouse, even if it's not the thing that makes me the most comfortable because I know that as I am, God will be at work. God was at work. We see that. Paul even says, man, if, if he had died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow on my life. This isn't Paul being dramatic. He's a dramatic guy, but not when it comes to life and death. He just says, this is what it is. We all die serving Jesus. And so when he says that, he really honors that Epaphroditus was sent. Now, none of this is particularly new to, to us if we've been following Jesus for a while, but it should give us pause. It should encourage us to reflect on two things. One, how do we honor those who live like Jesus? And second, how do we imitate Jesus as we imitate others who have been sent to us? Let's start with that first one. I think it's really important. This is something that we often miss, that we need to honor those who are doing the work God has called them to. And I'm not talking about just honoring people who have a platform. I'm talking about honoring the people like Epaphroditus too, the people who do the background work that rarely gets seen, who are just there to be an encouragement or just there to get a job done for the church or just there to make a little difference in the background in the community. We're called to honor them. I think that's why God told Paul 
so many times to honor different men and women of faith. We see it here in Philippians. We see it in every single one of his letters. Most powerfully, we see it in Romans 16, where he takes basically an entire chapter just to list people who are doing amazing things in the faith. Some big, some behind the scenes. And he says, we need to honor these people because God wants to honor them because of the sacrifice they have made for his mission. The reason we do this, though, isn't to give people a big head. It's to celebrate who God is and how God works. It's to help encourage one another on this journey of serving and loving our community and making a difference in the name of Jesus, right? Hebrews 10 gives us an encouragement. It says, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How are we gonna see love and good deeds as a church? It's by encouraging the people who are doing these things. Honoring them for their gifts. There's so many people. There is so many people in this church who give so much time to serving Jesus. We should honor them. So many people who, who lead in the front, who we see every day as we come through the doors on a Sunday, who meet with us to host us for community group, who invest in our youth and in our kids. And we also have so many people who sit in sound booths and tech booths on a Sunday. We have people who count the money on a Sunday and go do bank deposits. We have people who write checks and make sure finances get to our local and global partners. We have people who cut up the communion bread and take a long time to pour a little bit of juice in every one of those cups so that we can celebrate the life and death of Jesus. We need to get better at honoring one another so that we can each be excited about what God's doing. And for those who are doing it, it's going to help them keep going. And for those who are, aren't doing it, hopefully it helps us to be inspired to live as one who's sent like Timothy or Epaphroditus. So let's honor one another. But let us also take upon what Paul has encouraged us to do, which is to imitate those who follow Jesus. First and foremost, our aspiration is to imitate Jesus. Don't get me wrong, these role models aren't meant to be our Jesus. They're meant to just be, again, a stepping stone on our way to knowing Jesus. You know, we've all heard imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So why aren't we imitating one another? As part of our honor, but as part of our following Jesus. Saw this meme this week, I love it, right? Paul says, Paul says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. What are we doing? How are we trying to, to do it? Even if we, and you know what? I want to encourage you. Even if you fail in it, God doesn't call that second best. God honors that. These guys failed. I mean, there's times where Timothy has to get corrected by Paul in his letters, and yet, even though he failed, even though he screwed up at times, Paul honored him and said, God loves what you are doing. God sees how you're working, Timothy. I want you to know that. In a world that's consumed with self-centeredness, personal ambition, and people who want to be comfortable, the question is, do we want to be that? Or do we want to be like Jesus. 
Are we willing to serve sacrificially? Are we willing to genuinely put others ahead of ourselves? Are we allowing God to intervene and to come across our path to redirect? As we study Philippians together as a church, let's not neglect taking time with a passage like this to reflect. And so for the next moment, what I really just want you to do is I want you to consider that person who came to mind as a role model earlier and what they did and say, how can I imitate that? And I'd love for you to take a moment and if you got uh, the sermon note sheet in front of you or you want to just grab out one of those cards in the seat in front of you, I'd love for you to just write down one person that you have seen in our church family or one of our local or global partners, or maybe it's someone you know that we don't see, but I would just want you to write down their name and think of a way this weekend or going into this week to honor them. Honor them so that we can spur them on to greater love and good deeds. Well, as we consider that, of course, we need to come back to the most central point which is Jesus. We want to honor Jesus today, not just through our singing, not through just studying our word, but through spending time communing with him. So we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember the love and sacrifice of Jesus today. And as we do that, Paul says, we proclaim who God is We get to experience his love and his sacrifice all over again so that we can be inspired for how we're going to live. And so in just a moment, after I pray, our communion team will be at all the six stations around the room. And as well, if you can't get up during communion, put up your hand. Hannah will bring you the elements. But we're going to take part together. And the first part I want us to do is just receive the elements. So as we head up and grab them, remember, we're grabbing the bread which represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And we take the cup remembering that it represents his blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And I just want you to take time with Jesus as you receive those, as we sing the first part of the song together, and just just spend time with him, thanking him for his uh, love of you. Honor him for how he has done so much, how he has created you, how he's sustained you, how he's died for you, has he's rose, risen for you. And then together we'll receive those elements all at once, or we'll take those elements all at once. And then as we go this week, let's try our best to imitate him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the elements that we're about to receive. God, we thank you that they represent something so much bigger than bread and juice. God, we thank you that they represent that you humbled yourself to take on the form of a man. To live experiencing the weaknesses that come with humanity. And that you were willing to set aside all your power, all your gifts, so that you could live in a way that we can be inspired to live, so that we can get to know you more, so we can get to love you more, so that we could get to hopefully imitate you in such a way that it brings you glory 
and honor. God, we want ultimately you to receive all the praise, you to receive all the recognition. And so, Lord, as we take these elements, we thank you that you were even willing to go to such a gruesome death to pour out your blood, Lord, as we take that cup, Lord, just remind us that it's so much more than just a sweet drink, Lord, that it is represents the bitterness of death. But Lord, we also celebrate that you rose again, that you are our king, that you are the one who, though you walk through pain and suffering, have come out the other end, victorious, leading us to some better end. So we thank you for this, Jesus. Thank you that we can spend time with you in this. Amen.